The Cottonwood Project presents Becoming the Plagiarist, written and read by B.T. Higgins. 6. As Mike lay in bed, he tried to make a plan for spreading the pins among the people most likely to be victims of Zayden's bullying. Will and Way would take one. Would they help him find others? Mike made a mental note to find them before first period and ask them to help. Zayden would be looking for Mike's answer tomorrow. That would be a good test of his pin's abilities. Mike hoped he didn't blow it. Fifty-fifty chance, Mike whispered. Half of the time, Mike could stand up to Zayden's insults. The other half of the time, Zayden poked a soft spot and Mike's emotions crumbled beneath him. He determined to never fold under the pressure again. Never run away. Stand up, let him take his best shot, smile and say, is that the best you can do? If only to prove that Zayden was wrong about him. He wasn't a broken little boy that no one noticed or cared about. After he got the evidence, what would he do? Give it to his dad? He needed lots of audio from lots of kids, so there would be no doubt. Everyone loved Zayden. The teachers, the students, the girls. Mike didn't understand how Zayden could trick so many. He needed so much evidence that Zayden couldn't sweet-talk his way out of it. Then the school would have to expel him. The house creaked softly. The sound of Dad's snore came from down the hall. Mike glanced at the clock. He would be tired tomorrow. Mike tried to fall asleep, but his mind spun with details. He sneaked with quiet footsteps down to the living room where all the backpacks were setting against the wall. Mike woke up Gran and sent a message to Will and Way. Find me in the morning, before your first class. I'll be right outside the office, where we talked the other day. He hit send. Mike yawned. Before he reached his bed, the Henry in his head fell asleep. Mike's mind felt quieter. Maybe he could get to sleep now. Mike covered himself with a blanket and closed his eyes. Zayden's memory enveloped him again. Sunlight lit his mind as the memory took over. Mike ran down the field, feeling the spongy grass and the quality thump of the soccer ball against his right foot. Mike took the pass from Ricardo and drilled it in for a goal again. This time Mike noticed the celebration around him. They had finished the season in first place. This goal clinched the playoff spot. Mike looked to the sideline and saw Mr. Perez walking out toward him. It felt weird to see the same dour expression on his face, and then the slight upturn in his smile as he pointed out the embarrassing display of the goalie. Like re-watching a movie for the tenth time, Mike heard Mr. Perez getting called away and leaving him behind. The field cleared out. Is your dad coming back for us? Ricardo asked. I don't know, Zayden said. Your dad said there was a problem and said it was an emergency. How long are we stuck here for? Ricardo asked. Something will turn up, Zayden said. I wish we could have gone with them. The game was over when my dad got the call. I heard it ring. Shut up, Ricardo, Zayden said softly. You know they couldn't do that. We're old enough, Ricardo said. Shut up, Zayden repeated. A chime sounded on Zayden's cell phone. What's... Ricardo began. Zayden turned the screen to him. Your father told me to collect you at the soccer field. I will arrive in fifteen minutes, Ricardo read. He looked up at Zayden. Who is that from? The maid, Zayden said, though it felt like it came from Mike's lips. 
Mike wanted out of the memory. He wanted to fall asleep, but the memory would not let him go. He waited in silence with Ricardo until the black sedan pulled into the empty parking lot. Mike stood up and met the car at the main entrance. The short, plump maid jumped out to open the door for them. I came as fast as I could, Catalina said, Senor Perez. Thank you, Catalina, Zayden said. He ducked into the car quickly. The air conditioning felt chilly after the sun of the soccer field. Ricardo sat down beside Zayden, and Catalina closed the door. After she stowed their bags in the trunk, she drove them out of the parking lot. Mike wished he could see where they were driving, but Zayden played a first-person shooter game on his phone during the whole drive. When would this memory end? It usually spit him out before this. Zayden looked up. Two men in suits opened a gate, and Catalina drove into a courtyard where several other cars were parked. Zayden opened the door for himself and began walking inside. Mike noticed that he didn't get his soccer bag from the trunk. The sound of Catalina opening the trunk echoed in the square courtyard. Zayden only briefly looked around, but it was enough for Mike to notice the style of the house, Spanish colonial revival. It looked like the set of some movies Mike had seen. Its proper designation had come from the mind of Zayden. Mike knew nothing about architectural styles. The bizarre discomfort of finding you know information that you never learn naturally made Mike feel sick. Still, the memory would not let him go. Zayden showered and dressed in light-colored shorts and no shirt. He sat down at a computer and began browsing news sites. Mike soon grew tired of the stories that Zayden clicked on. He realized that Ricardo had not come into the house with Zayden. Where had he gone? Mike searched the edges of Zayden's vision to see more. The desk was made of dark black walnut with rich grain patterns brought out by lacquer. It looked very expensive and free of clutter. Mike found no clues about what Zayden did all day. His bed looked the same as the desk. The walls were covered in rich red and gold wallpaper. If Mike had to guess, he'd say that Zayden must have some other place where he kept his stuff. Posters, toys, games, and clothes were completely absent. Maybe this wasn't even his bedroom. Mike went on theorizing until Zayden turned away from the computer. Mike wished he'd take a walk or something. Zayden turned on some gentle music and began stretching in front of a full-length mirror. It wasn't the kind of stretching that Mike had done in weightlifting. It was much more involved. Tai Chi and yoga. Mike watched Zayden in the mirror as he moved slowly from pose to pose, breathing softly. His body was muscled and lean, but not large. A discomfort rose, like seasickness, from feeling like he was doing each movement, but seeing Zayden in the mirror. One reality of mind and a conflicting reality of sight. In the background, very far away, the knowledge that Mike lay in his bed gave a third disquieting feeling. Mike wondered if he might puke. He pleaded with his mind to let him out of the memory. Mike wanted to go to sleep now, but the memory held him in a vice grip as if it had to finish, a sort of obsessive need to complete the memory. Hours passed in the memory, until finally there came a knock on the door. Catalina said, Senor, I am to take you to your school for registration. I'll be out shortly. Zayden replied softly. He set down the book Mike had been suffering through, Seven Steps to Master the Psychology of Sales, and walked out 
to the courtyard again. Ricardo waited in the car. Zayden got in, and Catalina drove them out of the courtyard. The same two men opened the gates for them. As they passed houses, Mike noticed that every house on this street was hidden by gates and hedges. Their roof lines were occasionally visible far back from the road. Ten minutes later, Mike recognized the road they were driving on when Catalina paused at the four-way stop. Mike startled, perking up slightly. If they took a right, they would be at Mike's house in three minutes. The red sports car that always ran the stop sign must come from Zayden's neighborhood. Zayden pulled out his phone for the rest of the trip. They drove into the CCA parking lot, and Zayden waited for Catalina to open his door before looking up. Mike saw the school over her shoulder. Then he saw himself limping up the stairs toward the office. His stomach lurched. Mike didn't like seeing himself walk. It never fails, Zayden said. What? Ricardo opened his door and closed it behind him. Registration all week long, and the spike has to show up during my time slot, Zayden said. Look at him, hobbling. It's an embarrassing display. Ricardo didn't seem to be paying attention. The football stadium had caught his eye. I can't believe they let me in, Ricardo said. Zayden started walking. Ricardo followed at Zayden's right shoulder. Catalina waited in the car. Hi, Zayden, said a cheerleader named Emily. Mike wondered why she wore her cheerleading outfit for registration. Zayden smiled warmly. Missed you all summer, Emily. Where have you been? Traveling. Emily walked with Zayden. Her cheeks blushed slightly. Any good places I need to know about? Zayden asked. His voice was liquid warmth, completely different than when he spoke to Mike or even Ricardo. Ohio, mostly. Visiting family, Emily said, looking at the sidewalk and smiling. They reached the door to the office. Good to see you. Zayden said the word see as if it were sweeter than the rest. He left Emily at the door and sat down. Mike saw himself sitting in a row of chairs set back to back with the place where Zayden and Ricardo sat. Suddenly, Mike lurched out of the memory. He had finally reached the end of it. Mike lay in bed, feeling dizzy and tired. I stole the memory at registration? Mike whispered. Mike had not even seen Zayden sitting behind him. Somehow, his mind had plucked his memory just before he limped to the registrar's computer and signed up for waitlisting Russian 3. Mike glanced at the clock. Midnight. Only five minutes since he last looked. It felt like it should be tomorrow afternoon. Slowly, Mike detached from the feeling of being Zayden Perez. He wiggled his right foot, and that seemed to help. An embarrassing display, Mike repeated Zayden's words. He turned over and went to sleep, for real this time. Rachel spilled orange juice on her dress a minute before they were supposed to leave. Mike, Jackson, and Peter waited in the car. Mom helped her change. Mike watched the minivan's RPMs bounce around 500. The lady with purple sparks and the giant dog passed by Mike's house. Mike watched her in his rearview mirror. Her dog dragged her to the park down the block and made a slow deposit on the grass. The lady gathered it up with a plastic bag and put it in the trash. She barely had time to do so before the dog took off running down the sidewalk. She ran after the beast as quickly as she could. It was either that or be dragged. Mike tapped the steering wheel. 
If Rachel didn't hurry, he would miss Will and Way. Jackson and Peter got out of the car and chased each other around the car, and then the house. When Mom led a teary-eyed Rachel out to the car, she looked at the empty back seats. Where are the twins? They are currently running around the house, Mike pointed. Peter had a two-step lead on Jackson as they came around the corner. Mike honked. Mom shouted, Get in the car! You are making us late! Peter circled the backside of the van and jumped into his seat. Safe! Peter yelled. Jackson still tagged him on the shoulder. Got you! Jackson shouted. No, you didn't. I was in my seat. That's base, Peter said. They continued to argue about it as Mike reversed out of the driveway and headed for school. At the four-way stop, the red sports car never showed up. Probably long gone by now, Mike whispered and checked his watch. He desperately wanted to put the pedal to the floor, but the driver's ed teacher in his head wouldn't allow it. Mike kept his calm and negotiated the highway with care and professionalism. Mike wondered if he knew how to drive at all. Without the skills he'd stolen, would he have even gotten his license? The thought made him feel like a fraud. He didn't earn it, so it didn't feel like it belonged to him. What would happen if his mind lost the driving skills he'd taken? Would he even know anything? How would he explain to his parents that he needed to relearn how to drive? He began focusing on the road a little more, observing what his body did automatically. Maybe he could learn enough to drive by himself before Mr. Clark's driving skills jumped out of his skull. Traffic slowed to a crawl a mile before the off-ramp to CCA. An accident. Mike glanced at his watch and shook his head. You've got to be kidding me, Mike said. What is it? Jackson shouted from the back. Accident, Mike said, probably. Is anything on fire? Peter unbuckled and crawled into the front passenger seat. Mike glanced at him, his mind chiding Peter for moving seats while the vehicle was in motion. He kept the thought to himself. This made him feel slightly better. At least Mike still had control of what he said. Could he override Henry, too? A lot more of Henry was in his head. Could he shut Henry down if he wanted to? I have been thinking about that, the Henry in Mike's head said. I have a theory. Not now, Mike said. Remind me to tell you about it later then, Henry said. Peter whined, but I want to see it burn. Mike glanced at Peter. There are people in those cars. You don't want them to catch on fire. Obviously, the people had just enough time to run to safety before the explosion. Peter rolled down the window and put his head outside. He frowned when they crept past the accident. It was just a fender bender. Mike accelerated down the off-ramp and turned toward the CCA campus. He checked his watch. They were late. Will and Way would be gone. Mike and the Henry in his head fumed. He parked and saw that the sidewalks were nearly empty. We're late? Rachel sounded stressed. I don't want to be late. We've already missed a little, Jackson said. Mike, let's just skip the whole day. Take us to the trampoline place. We'll spend the day there. No one has to know. Mike pushed his door open and reached for his computer. Gran, can you please get a late pass for Rachel, Jackson, Peter, and I? Sure, Gran said. What reason shall I provide? Orange juice and a fender bender, Mike said. He glanced around and saw that Jackson and Peter had already left. It's done, Gran said. Mike locked the car and walked with Rachel to the sidewalk. She seemed nervous. Walk with me? To my class? Rachel looked up at Mike. I don't want to be alone. 
Fine, Mike said, and walked down the empty sidewalk to the last building on the left. Building one was the elementary school. Rachel led him by hand to her classroom on the first floor. When they reached the doorway, Rachel forgot completely about Mike. She let his hand drop and walked into the room without a glance back. You're welcome, Mike said to the empty hall. Mike walked across the empty road to building six. Iterative design. Gran, Mike said as he limped along. He held the computer in both hands. Can you send a note to Will and Way? Say, sorry I was late. Traffic. Find me at lunch instead. Sent, Gran sent. Mike realized he had forgotten his walking stick in the car. He frowned and walked into iterative design. Everyone glanced his way when he entered. He limped in, feeling awkward without his walking stick. Everyone turned away in one collective, disinterested motion. He took two more steps and saw that Sarah had not turned away with the rest. She waved him over. This surprised Mike. He limped toward her table. She pointed to the seat next to her and cleared her stuff off of it. I saved your seat, Sarah whispered. You did. Mike sat down. Thanks. Tiffany and the other girls at the table all whispered, Hi, Mike. Mike looked over in surprise. Uh, hello. They were all drawing on their computers and hadn't looked up. What did I miss? Mike asked. Sarah said, We are drawing our designs in this program, she showed Mike her computer. Mike saw that she was designing a pair of shoes. Thanks, Sarah. Nice shoes. Sarah smiled. They are going to be so beautiful. She leaned over her tablet, scribbling notes on the side of the drawing. Mike opened iterative design on his computer. He reached for a pair of class headphones to watch the lecture he'd just missed. It would already be posted on CCA Online. Don't worry about that, said the Henry and Mike said. I'll explain it. Mike thought about it and realized he already knew the design program. He pulled the digital pen from his backpack and opened up a new file. He began drawing without thinking. Today, drawing had an entirely new meaning. Instead of a bare line for a walking stick, Mike drew in three dimensions and perfect accuracy. Though Mike knew that the Henry in his head was driving now, it still felt awesome for the thing in his head to come alive on the paper before him. Is this the design you wanted to tell me about? Mike thought. It's a basic design, allowing for modifications, alterations, and upgrades, like any good design the Henry in his head said. Upgrades? Mike thought. Quiet, I'm working. Henry drew three more pages of technical specifications. Mike sat back and studied the designs and charts after they had been written. It felt strange. Each detail would morph in his mind in each second. First, it was something he had never seen and didn't understand, though his hand had just drawn it. Then, in the next second, Henry's knowledge bled into his mind. Mike understood the information as well as Henry. By the end of the third second, Mike could explain everything about it, which he would likely need to do for the total recall at the end of the lesson. Mike soaked up the mental download, feeling a mix of exhilaration and guilt. Sarah glanced over then. Wow, Mike, that's really good. Mike didn't look up. Henry wouldn't let him stop drawing. Thanks, Mike said. How are the shoes coming? I'm not sure what color they should be, Sarah said. Mike glanced over at her drawing and interpreted it in an instant. Have you ever seen the inside of an abalone shell? Mike asked. 
There are some paints and plastics that give a similar look. Abalone? Sarah said. She tapped on her computer. The Henry and Mike's head returned to his work. Mike heard Sarah say, Ooh, that would be amazing. Do you think? She touched Mike's arm. He looked up. Do you think Mr. Jax has that color? No, Mike said definitively, but he can order stuff for you. Just write a note about the abalone in your drawing. He'll know what you mean. I love it, Sarah said. Thanks, Mike. Sure, Mike said, his hands sketching a cross-section of the lowest part of the walking stick, which seemed to be hollowed out with structural ribbing for some reason. Thanks, Mike, Tiffany and the girls echoed. Mike looked up at them, confused. They weren't looking at him. They were teasing Sarah. Mike felt more confused. He wasn't used to not being the target of teasing. He felt like he was missing something. Stop it, Sarah said, and leaned over her computer. Her cheeks were slightly red. The Henry in his head kept working. It seemed that there was always more details to show, another drawing and diagram. After a while, Mike thought, don't you think you are going a little overboard? All of these specifications are needed for the CNC machines. Trust me. I believe you, Mike thought, but you are going to be seeing this. Don't you think you'll wonder why my design looks like something only you could do? I see your point. The Henry and Mike's head paused mid-word. The digital pen hovered over Grand's screen. You are going to think I'm cheating or something. You are tech smart now, said Henry. Why hide it? I'm tech smart. Mike played with the idea and liked it. Why should he hide it? After all, being good at languages didn't impress anyone his age. But Henry Jacks was a rich celebrity. This entire table of girls had signed up for this class specifically because they wanted to see Mr. Jacks close up. Being good at tech couldn't hurt. Maybe it could help. Henry Jacks, the real one, sat down at the end of the table. Mike glanced up. How are things going at this table? The girls giggled. Fine, Mike said. Henry Jacks began with Tiffany. An electric guitar, Henry said. That's a challenging project. I'm not making one from scratch. I want to customize mine, Tiffany said. Henry Jacks nodded and looked at her drawings. Laser engraving, uh, etching, maybe some hand wood-burning tools. But aren't you the girl who played on Monday? Yes. What are you going to play on while this one is in the shop? Henry Jacks asked. I have lots of guitars, Mr. Jacks, Tiffany said. Mike focused back on his drawing. He opened a second program and began drawing his first piece in a computer-aided drafting CAD program. This program creates each piece in digital space in a language that the machines can understand. Mike realized that he understood everything that the Henry in his head said an instant after the words were spoken. It began to feel more like he was building the piece on the screen and less like his body was being driven. Henry Jacks watched Mike work for a minute before he said, You know the CAD program already. Mike jumped slightly. He expected to be in trouble, but the Henry in his head seemed unworried. Mike thought it seemed so obvious that he'd stolen these plans from someone. Henry Jacks had to see that. You keep surprising me, Mike, Henry Jacks said. Mike leaned back in his chair as Henry Jacks leaned over his computer. The sparks circling his head looked dangerously close. The last thing he needed was to inhale another mind spark and choke two days in a row. The big blue spark from the other day was in orbit around Henry Jacks's head. 
It circled the back of his head at a slow pace. Did not seem to be attracted to Mike today, which was a relief. The Henry and Mike's head said, My blue spark is still there. I half expected it to be missing. It looks the same as before. That's interesting. Is it? Why? If it were gone, I would guess that you took the only available copy, like a handwritten notebook. The fact that it is still there means it is more like a data port on a computer. If you knew how to control your ability, I bet you could download another copy of my mind every day. Mike remembered the sickness that came as his brain incorporated the entire mind of Henry Jacks. No thanks, and never again, I hope. Never again? The Henry and Mike's head asked. You don't know how to control it. It might happen again. Who knows? I need to learn how to stop it and get you out of my mind, Mike thought. The Henry in his head seemed unconcerned about either of those things. I wonder what each of the other sparks is. Mike studied the sparks around Henry Jack's. Why don't you try to take one of the small ones, see what happens? No, why would I want to do that, Mike thought. We have to learn how it works, said the Henry in his head. No. Fine, I'll do it, the Henry in his head said. No. Henry focused Mike's eyes on the smallest spark and the clutter of lights around Henry Jack's. His mouth went dry. He didn't have time to do anything to stop it, and he didn't know if he could if he wanted to. The tiny red spark shot like a bullet from its orbit, and Mike felt a tiny thing sitting on his tongue. Henry, I said no, Mike thought. We need to figure this out. How do you expect to learn anything without experimenting, said the Henry in his head. The red spark felt like a grain of rice. It dissolved into powder and Mike's mouth flushed with saliva, just like before. That was easy, said the Henry in his head. Mike, said Henry Jacks. Mike blinked and looked up. Henry Jacks stared at him with narrowed eyebrows. I had no idea you were so advanced. Mike sat up straight and blinked away the internal noise of the Henry in his head. He gulped loudly and said, I, I took your advice on the walking stick. I am working up something unique. His cheeks flushed. He hoped he didn't sound stupid. The girls at the table had all leaned over to look at Gran. You've done this kind of stuff before, obviously, Henry Jack said. Why didn't you say so before? It's more of a recent acquisition for me, Mike said. My friend Tony makes stuff all the time. That's right, Henry Jack said. The game. I want to meet him sometime. Sure, sure, Mike said. He looked around the table and saw all eyes on him. It felt uncomfortable, mostly because it so rarely happened. Mike thought, this must be what Zayden feels like all the time. You can start building whenever you want, Henry Jack said. He pointed toward the rows of machines and tools. Let me know if you need supplies. I think I have everything you'll need for this. Thank you, Mr. Jacks, Mike said. Henry Jacks walked on to the next table. Mike relaxed in his chair. The girls went back to their work. Sarah whispered, I didn't know you were so good at this stuff. I thought you just spoke a lot of languages. Me too, Mike said. He smiled awkwardly. Sarah smiled and turned back to her work. Abalone, Mike heard her whisper. After a couple of minutes, Mike sent a file to a CNC machine and walked down a row of machines. He found a box full of aluminum rods, ten inches by two inches thick, solid metal. Mike took one to a bandsaw and cut off a three-inch section. 
He put the cylinder into the machine he'd sent the design to and clamped it in place. From a drawer of cutting bits, Mike selected the right size by instinct. He pushed the start button. Mike glanced back at the class. They were all working at the tables. It felt so good to be ahead of the group, but at the same time, Mike felt more guilty than ever. He didn't deserve to be tech smart. He'd stolen it. Even if the Henry in his head seemed very willing to share, stealing went against everything he believed. He wondered, again, if he should even be using the information Henry kept pouring out for him. The cutter spun toward the piece. Mike turned away. He cut several more pieces on the bandsaw and set them by the machine. As the cutters worked, Mike walked back to Sarah's table. He opened his notifications. The number 50 hung over the icon. You have 50 unread notifications, Rand said. Sorry, Mike said as students glanced up from their work. He limped back to the CNC machine with Grant. The cutter had hollowed out the center of the metal, taking off a small amount of metal with each pass. Fluid poured over the cutter as it ate through the soft metal, keeping it cool. When it finished, Mike clamped a second piece inside the machine. He thumbed the green button, and the cutter repeated the process exactly. Gran, you can read the messages, but not too loudly, Mike said. It looks like some other kids like your board game, Gran said. Read them and then forward those messages to Tony, Mike said. As the messages played, Mike watched the CNC machine. It was mesmerizing watching the piece take form. It looked like a little cup. Greetings, Mike. Gran read a message from someone Mike had never met, a fourth grader in Zimbabwe. I have been playing your game with my friends. Between our classes, it is very fun. We would like to make a board version so we can play at home. We do not have electricity in our homes. Our little brother and sisters would enjoy it very much. Is this agreeable to you? Sincerely, Renako. Mike said, Gran, please reply to Renako. Dear Renako, I am looking for beta testers for the game. If you would like to be one of our testers, you can make a copy of the game and play it at home. Write down your ideas for ways to improve it. Send your comments back to me. Thanks. Message sent, Gran said. Gran, can you create a feedback form for the game? Mike said. With questions like, how can we make the game better? What do you like? What do you not like about the game? Sure, Gran replied. Send that to Renako too, Mike said. He scanned the list of notifications and saw that many of them were about the game. Mike had an idea. I want to make a video announcement to pin onto my first one. A light turned red on Grand's screen. Mike looked at the camera and gathered his thoughts. We are starting a game club to beta test Tony's Coins game. Anyone who wants to join can contact me to get in. Our first goal is to gather feedback about what works and what needs improvement. Tony just invented the game a few days ago, so we want to help him make it even better. Send in your feedback on the attached form. Mike thought for a moment, leaving an awkward pause in the video that Gran would have to edit out. Then he smiled. Also, we are going to have a tournament in one week. I'm putting up 50 bags for prizes. You'll need to pay one bag to enter. All the bags we collect will go to first, second, and third prize, so the more people that join, the bigger the jackpot. Another pause. Tony will decide on the final rules the day before the tournament, so we have a week to perfect everything. Then one day to get ready for the tournament. Mike nodded and signed off. I think this will be a lot of fun. 
Gran stopped the video. Mike said, Can you edit out the awkward pauses? Sure, Gran said. I'll need you to set up an account for the tournament. Put my 50 in right now. All entry bags will go into that account. Make it public so people can see how many bags are in the jackpot. And then we'll see if anyone joins up, Mike said. He paused and said, I wonder if I should have run this by Tony first. The CNC machine finished cutting the inside of the second piece. Mike put the next piece in place automatically. It began cutting immediately. I like this game club idea, the Henry in his head said. Of course you do, Mike said out loud. You are the one that suggested it. Gran made a discordant chime. I'm sorry, I think I missed something. What did I suggest? Never mind that, Mike said. Did we finish the notifications? Several more kids want to put their bags into a sheltered account like Will and Way, Gran said. That's fine, Mike said. Just automatically set those up. You don't need to ask me. Anything else? Mike dried off the hollow aluminum piece with a towel. A reply from Will and Way saying they will see you at lunchtime, Gran said. Mike looked around for his backpack and realized he'd left it at the table. The pins were in the small pocket. He shouldn't have left them unattended. Mike chided himself. What if Zayden came up to him when he didn't have his backpack on? Mike would miss the conversation completely. The thought of Zayden's cold insults melted into his confidence. Mike began to worry. What if he didn't have the guts to stand up to him when they came looking for an answer? What if he caved and ran away? Or worse, caved and paid Zayden the bags? The thought raised the taste of bile in Mike's mouth. Mike watched the CNC cutter and felt his courage eroding like the core of the aluminum cylinder. In the end, Mike decided he'd try to avoid Zayden altogether. This seemed sensible, but also made him feel like a coward. The thought that he was not the best person to take down Zayden Perez kept bouncing around his mind. If only Tony hadn't left, Mike thought. The Henry in his head kept driving his hands and the machines until the class time was nearly finished. He put his silver cups in a box and marked his name. Henry Jacks had set up shelves for storage, and although he hadn't explained this to the class yet, Mike knew exactly where to put his project components. Mike cleaned the CNC machine and limped back to his bag. It sat on the table just where he'd left it. The listening pin on the right shoulder strap looked very obvious as it lay. The girls looked up just as the bell rang. They all had a look of extreme mental fatigue. Everything okay? Mike asked the table. I didn't know this class would be so hard, Charlotte complained. I can't figure out that CAD program, said Mia. Tiffany, who looked just as frustrated, added, But my guitar is going to look awesome. They gathered their stuff and left quickly. Sarah did not say goodbye, but Mike heard her whisper to Tiffany, do you have anything for a headache? As she left, Mike found himself watching her leave. Then he looked around and realized the room was nearly empty. He didn't want to get in a conversation with Henry Jacks right now. How would he explain his extreme proficiency? Mike quickly put Gran into his bag and shouldered it. He reached for his walking stick and, again, remembered he'd left it in the car. Did he have enough time to get it before chemistry? Mike ran down the sidewalk, past Building 5, and four, to the parking lot. His sore muscles complained at the speed, but Mike ignored them. He reached the minivan and retrieved his walking stick.
It just felt better to have it in his hand. In both chemistry and algebra, too, Mike had the uncomfortable feeling that he comprehended much more than he usually did. It seemed that the Henry in his head was brilliant at both subjects and enjoyed playing with the old formulas. Mike tried very hard to keep up with Henry's rapid explanations, but the idea that he could just let Henry drive tempted him greatly. He found himself thinking about what he would say to Will and Way at lunch. Thanks for listening. You can find B.T. Higgins at bthiggins.com or the email contact bthigginsbooks at outlook.com.